right, once again, welcome to Harvest. We're so glad you're here. I don't know if I said this earlier. My name is Pastor Micah, um, but we're really glad you're worshiping with us today, and we're going to dive right into God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get that opened up on your lap. Uh, If you don't have one with you, there's a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can borrow one of those. We'd love for you to do that as well. We're going to be starting in Luke chapter 6 today, and so um, you can go ahead and make your way there. We're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit in uh, the Bible today, so you kind of got all the scriptures listed at the top of your outline there, so you can follow along as we do. Um, So I remember when Courtney and I first got married, um, or right after we got married, we bought our first house, and when we bought this house, there was like a lot of, it kind of needed some updating, there was a lot of work, a lot of repair things to kind of be done and fixed up, and and, uh, I knew how to do um, none of that. And so, uh, thankfully, uh, we had several guys in the church who were pretty good craftsmen and were willing to help me out a little bit and uh, would come over and help me with some stuff. I remember one guy in particular, he was actually one of our church elders and a close family friend. His name was Doug. Uh, helped us out with a lot of different stuff. But when we first got the house, the first major project was to, to take out part of the wall between the kitchen and the dining room, kind of open it up a little bit. It was kind of an older house trying to open it up. And, and so uh, we... They, some of the guys came over on like a Saturday or something, and we get in there, we kind of sketch out, you know, measure it and sketch what we're going to cut out and stuff and get it all ready to go. And, and Doug says, all right, I'll go out to my, you know, truck and I'll get the saws all and we can start cutting. Well, one of the other guys that was there helping, um, one of the younger, um, less experienced, more, you know, do now, think later kind of guys, um, he was like, oh, no, no, we don't need a saw. I got the circular saw right here. We're, we're good to go. He's like, I'll just cut in it with this. And so Doug kind of looks at him, and then Doug kind of looks at me, and he's kind of like with that look of like, it's your house, dude. And so I was just like, I, I didn't know. I'm, I'm naive. I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So he fires up the circular saw and starts cutting through the wall and didn't get very far because drywall, what, drywall dust just went everywhere. Like the whole place was just like this room, that room, everything was covered in this big cloud of drywall dust from that. So he kind of, he, he kind of stops and he kind of pulls back and he kind of turns around. And he's like, yeah, maybe that other saw is a better idea. And I'm like, yeah, you think now that you've like <laughs> destroyed my, my house here? And so anyways, I learned two valuable lessons that day. Number one, always go with wisdom over eagerness. Okay. Uh, that's just a great kind of life lesson in general. Uh, but more importantly than that was that um, the right tool for the right job makes all the difference in the world. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like there's, there's certain things you can just do better and easier and if you have that right tool. And the same thing goes in our relationships. Right? Sometimes we have problems in our relationships. Sometimes we have conflicts. Sometimes we have some issues in our marriages. And not all of those problems and conflicts are a nail. So sometimes you need something other than just a hammer to deal with it, right? We need a variety of tools to use in different ways to help with different issues that we're going to encounter. And so we're going to look into God's Word today and look at what are some of the essential tools that God gives us to make marriage work, all right? And here's kind of the main thought this morning. Any broken relationship can be repaired when I use the right tool with the right heart, both of those are key, all right? Any broken relationship, marriage, any other, siblings, friends, whatever, can be repaired when I use the right tool with the right heart. So I'm going to show you three tools today from God's Word that I think are going to be helpful in doing that. Tool number one, point number one for you today is this. Tool number one is mercy. The first tool that God gives us is mercy, and that's from Luke chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 27 with me. Jesus talking and he says, but I say to you here, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Now, just pause there, like, what did Jesus just say? Like, that's a really hard teaching, is it not? Right? Everything inside of us, our go-to reaction is not to love our enemies, Everything around us in our world, in our culture, does not give the message of love your enemies. It gives you the message of hate your enemies, disparage your enemies, fight your enemies, maybe even kill your enemies in some case. We don't get the love your enemies message from anywhere else, but Jesus right here says love your enemies. 
And if that's true, that's what Jesus wants from us, how much more is that true for our spouses, for our kids, for our family, for our friends? If we're supposed to love our enemies, how much more are we supposed to love those that God has put in close relationship with us? He goes, now look down verse 35, he says it again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And here it is. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. He says, if you follow me, if you take my love and you give it to others, if you do what I'm asking you to do, you can be a son or a daughter of the Most High. You can be a child of God. And it says right here, why is that possible? He says, because, or for, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Did you know that's us? No, it's not like a super popular thing to talk about on Mother's Day, but, but we're all evil by nature. God is merciful to us. He is kind to us even when we are his enemies, which is why he tells us to love and be kind and merciful to our enemies. When we hated him, when we opposed him, when we rebelled against him, he came and he saved us and he made us his sons and daughters through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now that's true for some of you here today. For some of you, that's not yet true. Because see, here's the reality. All of us are born sinners. We're sinful by nature. We're sinful by choice. In our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, in our hearts. And that makes us enemies of God. That makes us in rebellion to him and to his kingdom. And it makes us deserving of wrath and hell and death. And it's not a problem we can fix. It's not something that we can get back in order on our own. And so God, out of his love for us, while we were yet his enemies, sent his son Jesus to come to live a perfect sinless life and go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To come and pay for sin, not his sin, but for our sin, for my sin, for your sin. And then he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life to show that he was God, to prove that he had conquered sin and death and to offer us new life, to offer us a chance to be sons and daughters of the Most High, to make a way for us to be clean, to make a way for us to be back in the good graces of God so that we can enjoy Him forever. Some of you here today are still enemies of God. You have not yet trusted in Christ for salvation. And here's what I want you to hear today, not anything else other than this. If that's you, he loves you. Even while you're still an enemy of God, all of us were at one point in time, and he still loves you, and he still loves us. And he gives us mercy, and he extends kindness, and he calls us to himself so that we can be saved from sin and find new life in Jesus Christ. And then he says this statement in verse 36, and this is where I want to kind of camp for just a second here. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So I want to unpack mercy today just out of this text for just a second. So here's a definition for mercy, okay? Mercy is maybe a word that we hear a lot or use a lot, but we don't always necessarily maybe define it. So here's, here's just a really basic definition for mercy. Mercy is not giving me what I deserve. Mercy is not giving me what I deserve. As a sinner, I deserve wrath and hell. I deserve all those things from God. But he doesn't want to give me that. He wants to give me compassion and kindness and patience and love if I will accept it and put my faith in Jesus. God gives us mercy and then he tells us to give it to others. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the whole reason that he calls us to mercy is because we've been given mercy by the God of the universe. 
In fact, have you ever considered, for those of you who are married, have you ever considered that maybe one of the main reasons you're married is to be the person who gives mercy to your spouse? Maybe the whole reason God put you together was so that the two of you could be a channel, a, a river of mercy flowing into one another's lives from the heart of God. Mercy is a vital element for a healthy marriage. Let me just tell you, if I can avoid a two-hour argument with two minutes of mercy, that's a win for everybody. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, there's just some times that it's just so helpful and important and, like, it's a valuable tool that God's given us. Now, some people struggle with mercy because um, they think of mercy as being the opposite of truth, right? If I'm, if I'm being merciful, then I'm letting them off the hook. I'm not telling them the truth. I'm, I'm letting something slide by, but that's actually not what mercy is. Mercy is not the opposite of truth. It doesn't neglect truth. It just changes the motivation behind truth. The motivation isn't for me to tell you why you're wrong and to beat you over, head, you over the head with your mistakes. If I have mercy in the truth, now my motivation is to lead you back to Jesus in the midst of it. Romans 2.4, I love this verse. It says, or do you, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, here it is, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Man, that's such a great verse. Listen, guys, as much as we love God's word and as much as we love God's truth, truth is not a game of gotcha with the grand prize of shame and guilt. Right? That's not the purpose purpose of truth is to expose our sin and show us our need for repentance so that we can then run to the mercy of Jesus Christ, so we can run to his kindness. Mercy is the vehicle that helps us get from truth to repentance. We need to help give it to one another. God doesn't want us to just be people who give mercy. He wants his followers to be people who have a posture of mercy. Who this is just who we are. It's part of our character. I love in this verse, notice in 36, again it says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. See, mercy isn't just something that God gives. It's just not something that he does. Mercy is who God is. It defines him. It's a part of his character. And we as fellow Christians, as followers of God, should be people of mercy. We should have that same posture in our life that way before we ever actually have to extend mercy to anyone, we already are a person of mercy, seated in that posture, ready to give it when necessary. When things happen in your marriage or your relationships and things go sideways, we don't extend mercy to prove a point or to get them to do something or to try to maneuver and manipulate. We extend mercy in order to become more like Jesus because that's what Jesus would do in that situation. It's not about what you do. It's about you becoming like him, being a person of mercy. I think we're all aware of um, how widespread divorce has become in our society. Many of us are affected by that. I myself have um, been impacted by that in my life. And one of the things that, that really uh, concerns me is not so much, um, what, uh, that's the wrong way to say that, divorce, it does concern me that we have that. But what's even becoming more alarming to me is not just that there is a rise in divorce, but the reasons for divorces today. I did a little research this week. 80% of divorces now cite irreconcilable differences as the reason. Irreconcilable differences. What does that mean? Like, what, what is that even, what, what's even in the category of irreconcilable differences? Like, how do we even know what that really 
is. So again, I did a little research. Here are the 10 most common examples of what people cite as irreconcilable differences that lead to the dissolution of their marriage. Number one, in-laws and extended family involvement. Number two, balance between home and work. Number three, communication patterns. Number four, sexual intimacy. Number five, personal habits and idiosyncrasies. Number six, sharing household responsibilities. Number seven, outside friendships. Number eight, political views. Number nine, debt difficulties. And number 10, disciplining children. Now, just a real quick poll this morning. This is anything official, but you know, we're, we can do this here. Of you married couples, how many of you here, by show of hands, how many of you here have not had a disagreement, a difference, even an all-out fight over at least one of those issues? Notice there are no hands, right? Because these are common things that every couple deals with. These are common difficulties because, guess what? We're different people. And we're not always going to see things the same way. And that's okay, and God uses that, and it's a good thing. Just because there's differences doesn't mean that they have to become irreconcilable. It's not the presence of differences, but the absence of mercy that makes them irreconcilable. You're going to have differences. That's not what tears people apart. It's the unwillingness to extend mercy in the midst of the differences that tears us apart. Some of the couples, some of you couples in the room right now, you're feeling this. You and your spouse have been fighting over the same issue for weeks or months or maybe even years. Some of you have this in another relationship in your life friend, a family member, a neighbor, co-worker. And, you're, and if, you, if this is your marriage, man, you're, you're done. You're, you're, just, you're ready to call it quits. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of fighting about this. We can't get anywhere. And I just want out. It's never going to get resolved. We're just too different. That's what you've told yourself. That's what you've heard from others. But I just want to tell you today, there is a way forward. No matter what the issue is, no matter what the conflict, no matter what the difference, there is a way forward. And God tells us that that way is mercy. It's extending mercy even when they don't deserve it. Because we've been given mercy when we didn't deserve it either. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's tool number one. The second tool essential for making marriage work is forbearance. Tool number two is forbearance. Now, this might not be as common a word to you, so let's talk about this for a second. We're going to be looking in Proverbs 19.11 to start with for this one, if you want to flip over there. But when you think about the word forbearance in our common culture vernacular, Probably you, the most common place we hear this, the way you might think about it is with student loans. Anybody in that camp, right? Anybody got the student loan thing going on, right? Like, if, you're, if your student loan is in forbearance, it means they're giving you a, a time period where you don't have to pay on it. They're giving you a break from your payments, right? Uh, sometimes you can have a mortgage that goes into forbearance as well. This is kind of where we usually hear this term. So here's the common definition today for this. Temporarily refrain from enforcement of something due. So I'm going to temporarily not make you pay whatever it is you are supposed to be paying um, for, this, for this time period. That's forbearance as we kind of know it in our culture. In the Bible, forbearance is similar but a little different. Here's the idea in the Bible. To refrain from enforcing punishment for sin. Forbearance is for me to refrain from enforcing punishment for sin. It's, it's basically a form of mercy. A very specific form of mercy. But I think it's super helpful to kind of dig down on this for our marriages. So let's look at the Bible and see what we have here. Proverbs 19, 11. 
says this, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That last part is the key. It is his glory to overlook an offense, to let it go. Yes, something happened. Yes, it was wrong. Yes, it was sinful. But I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to overlook that offense. I'm not going to demand punishment. I'm not going to demand restitution. Another verse that's super helpful on this idea is 1 Peter 4.8. Go ahead and take a look at that. It's on the screen for you as well if you need it there. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Man, what a great phrase. That love covers a multitude of sins. It covers the debt of sin. Do you understand that anytime you sin, it, it creates a debt against that person, against God or against your spouse or whatever? You then owe them restitution for the sin that you have now committed. There's a debt. And here it says that, that love covers multitude of sins. The punishment that is owed, sometimes love can just cover that. I'm not going to make you pay that. I'm not going to put that back on you. I'm just going to cover that in love. This is forbearance. Dave Harvey, the book that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, When Sinners Say I Do, again, if you've not read this book, man, this is by far my favorite book on marriage. I would definitely um, encourage you to get it. He says this about forbearance. Forbearance brings love into play in such a way that you can cut someone free from their sin against you without them even knowing or acknowledging what they've done. This is the best part about forbearance. A lot of times, I'm not even going to bring it up. I'm not even going to bring it to your attention. I'm just going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to cover that one in love. I'm just going to move past that sin, that issue. Now, sometimes... We can think it's forbearance when it's not. So let me just kind of give you three forbearance is not things real quick, okay? Forbearance is not tucking it away for another time. Eh, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I'm not going to bring this up right now, but in a couple months, I'm going to drop the hammer. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's not forbearance. That's not mercy. That's not what we're talking about, right? Also, forbearance number two is not Christianized external niceness, right? Like we're, we're all just going to be nice and good and kind to each other. We're going to pretend like we're all perfect and nothing's wrong. That's not it. And forbearance is not pretending like it didn't happen. Everything's great. We don't have any problems. I'm just ignoring it in some way. That's not what we're talking about. For forbearance to take place, there has to be at least an acknowledgement on your side that a sin occurred that you need to forbear. Harvey in his book, he also says this, forbearance is when we know, or at least suspect, sometimes that's it, right? <laughs> like we think they sinned against us, but we really don't like know for sure. But even then, we know or we suspect that we have been sinned against, but we actually make a choice to overlook the offense, wipe the slate clean, and extend a heart attitude of forgiveness and treating the apparent sin as if it never happened is forbearance. Now, I know this isn't like a super often talked about topic or conversation or, or idea, even in marriage. And so I was like, I need to get a really good example, like a practical example of forbearance from our marriage so that I can give this to these people. They can really kind of grab a hold of this. So I was trying to think of an example where Courtney has had to forbear something sinful from me. Um, and I was just thinking, like, it's really couldn't come up with anything. I couldn't think of a, a good example. And it's, it's not because I'm awesome. All right? like, I'm just saying, I've lived with me. That's not it, right? Like, but the reason I really couldn't think of anything was because that's the nature of forbearance. Most of the time when she forbears something, I don't even know she's doing it because she's overlooking the offense. She's covering it in love. She's moving on. She's not bringing it up. She's not making it a thing. That's forbearance. However, after some time, I thought back to 2010. Um, this time in our marriage, uh, I had, um, we had just moved to a new city. 
I had taken a new job, a new pastorate job at this church, and we didn't know anybody in the town. New job, stressful job. Um, she had just given birth to our firstborn, Eliana, and some reason we decided that this would be a good time uh, for Micah to start seminary classes. That makes sense, right? Like everything else in life is changing. Why not add one more thing? So, so here I am. I'm in, a, I'm in a new pastorate, stressful position. We got a new baby trying to figure out how to be parents, and now I'm taking like 12 credit hours of, of graduate level courses, trying to figure all this out together. And I'll just be honest with you, during that season, there were some times, uh, there were a lot of times um, where I was absent from the home. Like I was just, I was out, or even if I was there, I was checked out and I wasn't, I was tired or I was irritable or I was, I would snap at her or snap at Eliana. And, and we had a couple conversations here and there about that. But for the most part, Courtney just kept being loving and encouraging and supporting through all of that. And I know she covered a lot of stuff in love in that season of our marriage. And I think it comes about sometimes because she knew that although that was happening at that point in time, that that wasn't me. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes when your spouse just isn't acting like themselves, like that isn't their normal character, and she knew this was a temporary season of high stress and high work. And, and so she's like, we, we're, we're just going to weather this with forbearance. And I think that we do that in marriage. All, that's, there's, this, is, this is the majority of marriage, right? Just covering over a million little things with love, with mercy, with forbearance. But sometimes those little things grow into bigger things, don't they? And if we can cover those bigger things in mercy and forbearance, man, God loves that. He loves that. But sometimes we can't. Sometimes they grow to a level where they do need to be addressed. They do need to, to be brought to the table and dealt with in a more substantial way. So how do we know? How do we know where that line is between forbearance, covering it in love, and needing to actually talk about it and deal with something in a bigger way? way. And so I just wrote down here um, five uh, things that I think covers, that forbearance covers really well in marriage. Maybe this will give you some practical handles to be able to apply this in your lives. So five things. Number one, uh, personal irritations. Um, first of all, they're not even sins, right? You just don't like the way he folds the socks. Like, we just need to cover that in love. Can we just agree with that this morning, right? Can we just, like that, there's just some things that they're not even sinful, we just don't like it. And how often do we get all irritated and worked up and in a major conflict over things that aren't even sin? When it, we had a little more forbearance, those wouldn't be things in our marriages. Number two, honest mistakes. Yeah, they sinned, but it wasn't malicious. It wasn't premeditated. They weren't trying to do something hurtful. It was an accident. Something just happened. And a lot of times we can just cover that in love. Number three, out-of-character, isolated events. Right? So again, they did something, but that's not normally who they are. That's not normally the way they function. That's no, not normally the way they talk or act. Something special or extra happened in the circumstances that caused them to sin in this way. So I can just cover that in love. I can move past that. Number four, temporary circumstances. Sometimes sin comes out of our hearts and our lives because we get into these temporary seasons of stress and, and pain and struggle, and it just brings a little extra sin out of us. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, don't leave me up here. All right? Like, I, I know I'm not the only one. Come on. So in those seasons, if we see that in our spouse, maybe we can just forbear with that for a little while and cover in love as they're working through that. And then number five, uh, if there's little to no ripple effects from the offense. Sometimes it may be even uh, a repeated sin that happens in their life or whatever, but if it really is only impacting them or them and me, then maybe I can still forbear that and just cover that in love as God works on their heart and the Holy Spirit works in them to get them past that. If it's not rippling out to the children or other people or whatever. I think forbearance is a super helpful tool in marriage to get us past all the little stuff 
so that we can, when we do have to deal with something, we can deal with it in a more healthy way. God's love covers a multitude of sin, and so can mine. God has covered a multitude of sin in my life with forbearance. I think I can do the same for my spouse or for my friend or for my family member. Tool number one is mercy. Tool number two is forbearance. And then lastly today, tool number three is forgiveness. Flip over to Matthew 18 for this one. We're going to look at a story here that Jesus tells about forgiveness. I'm going to kind of just summarize the first part of the story so we can get to the, to the part at the end that we're going to apply today. So there's, in this story, Jesus is telling about a king who calls a servant, one of his servants in, and this servant owes the king 10,000 talents of money. Now, we don't have talents today in our money system. We don't really know what that even means, but basically 10,000 talents would be a lifetime's worth of wages. Like, like the, the amount of money you would earn in an entire lifetime, that's what he owed this king, an impossible debt to repay, right? Like there's no way he could ever pay that back. And so he pleads for mercy, he pleads for forgiveness of his debt, the king would wipe it away, and the king agrees. He agrees to forgive his debt of 10,000 talents, says you don't owe me anything, you can go. The servant leaves, goes out into the street, and finds another servant who owes him 100 denarii. Again, we don't have denarii. Basically about three months wages. Not a small amount of money, right? But nothing compared to 10,000 talents, right? And he grabs this other servant and he shakes him and he demands that he pay him his money. And when he can't, he throws him in jail until he pays it back. And the king hears about what happens And he summons the servant back into his presence. And look at verse 32. It says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You and I owe a 10,000 talent debt of sin to God. We owe a debt that we can never repay. And yet, through Jesus Christ, he offers to forgive every single bit of it if we will come and put our faith and our trust in him. And for those of you who've already done that, your debt is forgiven forever. You are free from all of that. And if that is true, I should be willing to forgive the lesser debt, the lesser sin debt of my spouse against me. I think sometimes we miss the forgiveness thing because when we start thinking about forgiveness, we start comparing their sin against me versus my sin against them. You know what I'm talking about? Like the little tally score you keep in your head, right? Like, well, he did this, well, she did that. And you kind of keep the the running score, right? And we're comparing our sin against them, against their sin against us. And that's not the way God measures it. God says, compare their sin against you against your sin against me. And let me just tell you, there is no one in this world who has sinned against you as much as you have sinned against a holy and perfect God. And if he's forgiven you every bit of it, we need to forgive our spouse, our friend, our coworker, our neighbor when they sin against us. God has forgiven me much, so I must forgive much. Forgiveness is a little bit different than mercy. They're connected, and sometimes we try to use them interchangeably, but they're slightly different. Forgiveness is a transaction between two parties. It usually starts with the one who has sinned coming to the one that has been sinned against and asking for forgiveness and making repentance. And Where mercy, you can do that without ever even having a conversation. 
Also, forgiveness is necessary when mercy and forbearance isn't enough. When it's something bigger than I can cover in mercy and forbearance, then I need to bring forgiveness in. And so here's how forgiveness works. I want you to think about a pipe. You've got a person who sinned at one end, you've got the person who was sinned against at the other end, and there's this pipe between them. And, and, and you're trying to let forgiveness flow from one person to the other. But to get there, it has to go through three valves. Three valves in this pipe have to be opened up to allow the flow to go through. The first valve is the repentance valve. This is the one that the sinner has to turn. The one who did the sinning has to come and make repentance and ask for forgiveness, and they have to start the process by turning their valve, admitting their sin, and and seeking forgiveness. The second valve is the mercy valve. And this is the one who, who was sinned against, all right? They have to choose in the mercy valve to release the sinner from the liability of suffering the punishment for that sin. I have to say, as the one sinned against, I have to say, yes, you sinned against me and you deserve to be punished, but I'm going to release you from that. I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm not going to make you suffer the debt of your sin. That's turning that mercy valve. But then there's one more valve. A lot of times we think that's just it. It's just those two. But there's one more valve that actually has to be turned. The third valve is the cost valve. This is the one, this is the one where the person sinned against absorbs the cost of the sin. Because there is a cost to it. We talked about that earlier, right? That they, as someone who's been sinned against, you are owed restitution for that sin. And when you choose to forgive them and not hold them liable or punish them for their sin, you are agreeing in that last valve to absorb the cost, the weight, the pain, the suffering of that sin and not put it back on them. That's when forgiveness truly happens. Forgiveness is costly. It always has a cost to it. It's costly because it requires you absorbing the debt of sin that is owed to you. It's costly because it's forsaking revenge and leaving that in God's hands and trusting him to handle it. I'm not gonna make you pay. I'm not gonna seek this out. I'm gonna let God be the one who does the justice. And it's costly because oftentimes forgiveness is an ongoing process. You've experienced this, right? You have the conversation, I'm sorry, okay, good, I forgive you, we're all good. And you think it's done. And then the next day or the next week or the next year, something happens and all of a sudden, all the anger and all the bitterness and all the pain comes rushing back into your heart. You're like, where did that come from? Like, I, I thought I forgave them. Where, what, where was all this? What is all this? I thought we were past this. And we have to go and we have to forgive again. And we have to forgive again. And sometimes the ongoing process of forgiveness is costly and painful in and of itself. But it's what we're called to. Now, again, some people struggle with forgiveness, I think, because they have a misconception of what it is. So, again, just real briefly here, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You've heard that saying, forgive and forget, right? That's not in the Bible, by the way. Right? There's no verse for that. <laughs> Forgiveness and forgetting are not the same thing. And you don't have to forget something to forgive it. Sometimes you never forget it. But you can still get to a place of forgiveness. Number two, forgiveness is not enabling sin or ignoring crime. Some people think, well, if I forgive it, then I'm saying, you know, that it's okay to do it again or that they shouldn't have to, you know, there shouldn't be any repercussions for it. And that's not what you're saying at all. Forgiveness is not allowing them to continue sinning against you. You don't have to do that. You can forgive them and still walk away. Forgiveness is not, you know, keeping it to yourself and not reporting the crime to the proper authority so that it can be dealt with. You can forgive and still do all of that. And sometimes you should. Number three, forgiveness is not denying sin occurred. 
or diminishing its evil. I think this is the biggest one. Some people think, if I forgive them, then it's like I'm saying to them that it didn't happen, or it doesn't matter, or I don't care. And I do care, and it did happen. But see, it's actually the opposite of that. For forgiveness, for true forgiveness to occur, both sides have to understand and acknowledge that yes, sin did happen, and that's why we need forgiveness here. It's an acknowledgement in the midst of it that brings true forgiveness. When we fail to forgive, sometimes we try to replace forgiveness with other tools. One tool that I think we turn to sometimes is this wishy-washy, middle ground, you know, like inch deep, oh, it's okay. Oh, don't worry about it. It's, we're, we're good. But down inside, you're not good. And it's not really forgiveness. And it's not really anything. It's just trying to put a Band-Aid on it to get past the uncomfortableness of the difference or the disagreement. The other side, the other tool, is bitterness. Because when we don't get to a place of forgiveness over issues and conflict in our marriage or in our lives, it ultimately leads to bitterness. Where I'm holding on to this sin and I'm holding it over my spouse's head like an arrest warrant that I can just drop on them at any time. Next time you mess up, don't worry, it's coming. Right? When we don't forgive, it leads to bitterness but neither one of those will work. If you want your marriage to last, if you want it to grow, if you want it to be healthy, neither one of these things is gonna work. You have to get to the tool of forgiveness. And honestly, God expects it. If you're a follower of Christ, God expects this to be the norm of your life in your marriage, is forgiveness. I know some of you right now are thinking the same thing I was thinking when I was writing this. If we're just going to be honest in church today, sometimes that's just hard. Like, I just don't, Micah, I I just don't think I can do it. I don't think I can forgive them for that. I don't think I can forgive them again. Like, it's just too hard, it's too painful, it's too big, it's too close. Whatever the thing is, I just don't, I just can't. I just can't but you can. It is possible. And when you do it, it is life-changing for you and for them. I want to show you just a real quick testimony video of a couple and how forgiveness impacted their marriage, and then we'll close things out today. Watch this video. My husband and I met when I was in college. We dated for five years. In our early marriage, we just struggled. He worked nights, I worked during the day. I didn't want to say anything like, to anybody or to him even because I didn't want to be um, a nagging wife. I didn't want to ruffle any feathers, you know? I wanted everything to just be okay and I just thought that at some point it would be okay. I was taking our, our first son to um, church and I'm serving in childcare. During that time I met a friend and um, she always asked me how I was doing and. I always said fine, which was not always the case. You know, I was, I was building up this anger and this bitterness towards my husband. I got to a point in our marriage that I felt alone and um, I felt like I was a single mom, but I was married, so I, it was confusing. I left and I took my son and we were separated for the first time. When I left and we first separated, um, there was a friend at work that at some point our friendship um, developed further into um, more of a relationship and I ended up having an affair while my husband and I were separated. My husband had filed for divorce. He found out about the affair and was just, he was, he was like, my hands are clean and um, so we were going through the process. Anyone that we did end up talking to until we talked to people um, from the church, or just looking at our circumstances. He did this, or she did this, or this is how I feel, or he upset me, or, or whatever. They were just looking at our circumstances and feelings at the time. Um, so if they were my friends, um, I was justified. And if they were his friends, he was justified. And that was all going on during this time that I was serving in childcare at, at our church. That friend who uh, led with me in childcare, 
that kept asking me how everything was, um, I finally, when she came over to my house one evening and just wanted to pray for me and talk to me, I told her everything. And um, I thought she would be on my side. <laughs> I thought that um, uh, she would understand. And she just said, no, this is not what God wants for you. This is not right. And she wanted to pray for me right there. And, um, and I let her. Somebody else in the church had reached out to me and wanted to talk to me. And unbeknownst to me, somebody else in our church had reached out to my husband. And I had no idea. Um, so simultaneously, we were meeting with people from the church and they were praying over us and talking with us and they were just really just pointing our eyes to God. We were almost um, divorced. We almost signed the papers. It was like the next week. My husband texted me and he said, I just want you to know that um, I love you and I forgive you for everything and um, I'm not gonna divorce you. And he said, God's not gonna let me divorce you. You're my wife. And if you wanna divorce me, you're gonna have to do it. And I was shocked um, because I feel like those were the words that I wanted to hear for so long. And I felt the same way, like God just really gave him a heart for forgiveness. From that day, we didn't know how. Um, we knew it wasn't gonna be easy. And that very day, we weren't just gonna be lovey-dovey and everything was gonna be perfect. We both just kind of took a leap of faith and we were just like, okay, God, I don't, I don't know what, um, what's gonna happen. I don't even know if either one of us is gonna be happy. Um, I don't know if, um, if it's gonna work out, but we're literally just trusting you. And uh, that was how he reconciled our relationship. That story is all of us. Maybe you haven't had an affair, maybe you haven't you know, left your spouse or whatever, but we've all sinned against one another in some way, form, or fashion. Maybe your husband has neglected you to build his business. Maybe your wife is continuing to drive you deeper and deeper into debt with her frivolous spending. Maybe you're the, the one you love is addicted to a substance and it's tearing your family apart. Maybe that person, maybe he never looks at you the way that he lusts after other women. Maybe she never gives you the attention that she gives to the kids. Whatever it is in your relationship, God's answer is the same. Forgiveness. That's the answer. That's the only answer that's going to move you forward in a way that's good and healthy and God-honoring. It's forgiveness. I want you to root your heart in this truth today. God has forgiven me much, so I must forgive much. Any broken relationship, any broken relationship can be repaired when I use the right tool with the right heart. Both of those are key. You've got to have both. And both of those must come from Jesus. Not from us, right? It's, it's his love that changes my heart to one of love. It's his mercy that changes my life to one of mercy. It's his forgiveness that changes my outlook to one of forgiveness. It all flows from him through us. But we have to have that relationship. And once we have that with him, then I can choose to walk forward and go and build my marriage or my relationship with a heart and with the tools that he's given me. So as we close today, I want you to stand with me real quickly here. Everybody just stand, please. If we could just bow our heads for just a moment here. We're going to have a short time of prayer. Just you and the Lord. No one's looking around. No one's talking to anybody else. Just please give me a couple minutes here. Just, just really focus. 
And here's what I want you to think about and, and talk to the Lord about. What do you need to forgive today? When I started talking about forgiveness, what person came to your mind? What issue or circumstance came to your heart? I didn't name that. I didn't say that person's name. I didn't bring up that situation or that issue. But you're thinking about it because the Holy Spirit has put something in you right now that he's trying to lead you to forgive. So whatever that is for you right now, I just want you to just pray and just talk to the Lord and confess your unforgiveness for that person, for that area of your life and ask the Lord to help you. Ask him to come and help you forgive, to give you that heart change of forgiveness and love towards your spouse, towards that person in that relationship. Just take a moment right now, just you and the Lord silently pray. Seek that forgiveness. next to you right now. If they are, I would encourage you maybe just reach over and just take their hand, take their arm, just squeeze it a little bit. Just, just say, you know, non-verbally to them, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I want to forgive. It's coming. By the Lord's grace, it's coming. not here today. You need to commit that when you commit to the Lord right now, that when you leave here today, you are going to call them. You're going to go find them. You're going to talk to them. You're going to get it taken care of. Get on the road of healing and forgiveness. Maybe you need to pray together right now. I'm getting ready to pray publicly going to sing a song, but maybe you just need to turn to them and take their hands and just the two of you sit down right now and just pray together that God would move in your marriage, move in your relationship, that he would bring forgiveness and healing. Let's not miss this moment with the Spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you, Lord, for your love for us, Lord, you thank you for your unconditional love and your forgiveness. Lord, we would be completely lost without you, without your forgiveness in our lives, Lord, we would be nothing. Help us today to grow, to grow in love and to extend mercy and forbearance and forgiveness in our own relationships, in our own marriages. Lord, you have forgiven us so much. Lord, help us to forgive.